visit it and revisit it from time to time. Um, in the due course, a banner will be unfurled somewhat later than uh, normally would be our custom, and that will be uh, unfurled here um, quite soon. So it's, uh, our reading is Philippians 4, 1 to 9, and our key verse is verse 6, and what we will do is use that as a window, if you like, into uh, the, the whole of the service and the sermon itself. But Philippians 4, um, you see there the page number if you're using the Bible, Church Bibles, Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Aodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal York fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, with the dawning of the a new year, and it's well launched now, it's customary for us to have a verse for the year. And I give this one to you as we have it now. Do not be anxious about anything. But, and that's the pivotal but that changes, switches us, this is the alternative. In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presents your requests present your requests to God. But with the dawning of a new year often comes a deluge of fresh resolve, resolutions, reminders of better things on our part in the future. And that comes often by way of a challenge and perhaps even by way of inducing a measure of guilt that uh, we haven't quite kept up to the promises that we have made either to the Lord or to each other or to ourselves. And in that deluge, we think this is a new resolve. And I think that's a good thing to do. But for a moment, let me take the opposite line in this to provoke further thought and reaction. I want you to put verse 6 at the background of your thinking for the moment. And I'd like to say to you, tongue-in-cheek, taking a risk that I want to take the opposite approach and give you this as a heading to the sermon. How to waste your time in 2009. Guaranteed. How to waste your time in 2009. Let me give you four infallible things that is imperative for you to do. And if you do that, 
you will waste 2009. First of all, in total contradiction of the verse, worry a lot. Just keep doing what is natural for you. Worry a lot. And you have to work at this a little. It doesn't take a lot of effort, a little effort, and it's this. You have to start early in the morning. As soon as you wake up, be sure that you start. Be disciplined, be prompt. When you wake up, start worrying. And there's a lot to worry about, of course. Don't you know? I mean, think of the financial crisis. Think of friends and family that you know who are in trouble with health and finance and work and all these things. I mean, after all, you're only human. And as the day unfolds, it's more important that you intensify your anxiety and increase your stress level. You may need a little bit of help, but you don't need a lot of imagination. You need to read the newspapers and look at all the bad news and the injustice locally and nationally and globally and feed on that for a while and think about the human tragedies, the inconsistencies. Anything will do from global warming to personal disappointment. After all, you haven't been treated very well. And life isn't fair. Keep it up. Keep it up. That's the first thing that you, you must do. And especially if you're a parent, you have a lot to worry about. So, live off a cocktail of guilt and worry and regret and anxiety. That's the first thing to do. That's not too difficult. Some of you are doing some of it already. Keep it up. Then the second thing that you must do is this. Fix your attention only on material things. I mean, there's a credit crunch going on now. And it's tough out there. So, Material things are of supreme importance after all. Worry if you're retired about your pension or your interests. And if you're working, worry about your future and your prospect of staying in employment. Now with that mindset, you'll be able to fix so easily and settle into the way of this world and you won't have any conflict or trouble with friends because you are just like them. And life becomes easier. They live for material things and so do you. And definitely do not pay attention to some of the things that is spoken about in the Bible. For example, let me give you one proverb. Here it is. Uh, you, you don't have to turn to it, but it's Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. And this is what it says. I wouldn't take this seriously. It says, do not, wear, <coughs> excuse me, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. 
but cast a glance at riches and they are gone. How many people know that in this world today? Cast a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle or like these red kites that we see in our community. I wouldn't believe that. And never believe anybody who says we brought nothing into the world and it is certain that we cannot take anything out of the world. That's the church having a bad day. Thirdly, compare yourself with others. This is a good one, this is. Compare yourself with others. And there is fertile ground for this. This is a sure time waster for 2009. Not only will you ricochet between the extremes of arrogance and discouragement, but you'll spend another year not really knowing who you are or what you should do, even though you're a Christian. For example, if it's external beauty, buy clothes that you can't afford, to impress people that you don't like. That is very important. You are going to have a good year. And P.S. Have the Valium ready. You'll need it. And fourthly, it's so important now, if you're going to waste your time in 2009, lengthen the list of your complaints. I mean, after all, you really are having a hard time. Aren't you? People don't understand you. They don't appreciate you. People don't really care for you. They don't understand what you're going through. I mean, it's not easy, is it? So, increase the list of your complaints. Keep playing the blame game. Politicians are fair game. Your family the mistakes of your parents, all that sort of thing. Keep working away at that. And so, you now have a full arsenal of suspicion, paranoia, resentment, and you can waste endless evenings rehearsing your feelings, and you can lick your wounds and enjoy being miserable. I hope you're not taking me seriously. <laughs> not a terrible thing to say. But I think they are proven time wasters. You set those into motion. And this new year is going to be a record year. For nothing. And at the end of it. Just. More of the same. No, I think that's rather pitiful, don't you? So on the other hand, let's get down to the serious business of why we've come here. I don't think we want to do that. So instead, we would want to say, pray more, worry less, be flexible, Less rigid and inflexible. 
Give more. Of, not keep your money to yourself, give more of yourself. Get involved with people. And when you do, you'll find that actually you'll start complaining a bit less. Be content with who you are where God has placed you. And the oil of forgiveness and grace will loosen your grip on these grudges. And like the autumn leaves, they'll begin to fall away. In other words, make this a productive year. A fruitful year. A year of significant progress for you in your relationships and in your life personally. So I think we should get down now with that by it's just an introduction, isn't it? So it, if you have a long introduction and a short sermon, it's good. So, the verse. What do we make of the verse? Here it is. Uh, and I hope that you put it uh, in strategic places at work. Some of you, uh, you folk do that and at home. Um, it's, it's a good verse. It, it's, it starts with the negative and then gives us the, the alternative. So, our verse issues us with a health warning. It's a, it's a health warning from the scriptures that the most universal of all addictions is worry. Or the variant of that is anxiety. It is universal among people who have a lot and people who have little. People who are strong and people who are weak. Worry is innate. The, 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 the Greek word helps us a little here with worry. It means this, literally, to be pulled in different directions. So you see the point? You begin a new day and you, you're pulled in that direction and you're pulled in this direction and you've got this and you've got that. And that's what worry is like. Literally, the literal translation is to, to asphyxiate. Sometimes some people, when they're stressed, they hyperventilate. Need more air for breathing. It's, it's, it's to strangle. And, and if this continues, it has certain physical manifestations. They vary from degree, from people to people. But these are some of the things that happen as um, this universal malady inflicts our lives. Headaches. Ulcers, neck ache, back pain, eating, too much, too little. Worry is a thief. It breaks into our lives like people break into people's homes and cars and it robs things from you that it has no right to do. It's a thief. It robs you. It actually robs you of something vitally important, the, sen the essentials for living rather than those for merely existing. And it's subtle. And it comes upon us and we hardly know it. So, we have three things that can come by way of, uh, of a corrective, if you like, as we look at this verse. 
First of all, Paul says within that context, and it is very interesting, even in, in verses 2 and 3, there are two women within this fellowship who are just not speaking. Nothing original about that, is there? It just happens to be women. But Paul says to the men, and why are you looking on just saying, oh well, typical women, it's not very helpful. True York fellows, help these women. What? He uses a military word, really, who contended, stood by, side by side in the gospel who are actually better than some of the men. Fellow workers, help them, rather than stand on the side and criticize. So within that context, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice! I say it again as a corrective to worry. Rejoice! Rejoice! As it is in verse 4. Don't look through at life through the negative lens. Don't miss out on the joy that the Lord has given to you as an individual and a family and given to us as a church. If I was to ask you, and you'd fill in, when did you significantly laugh last? Chances are it might be a long time. And when were you willing to laugh at yourself? Or do you take yourself too seriously because you're having such a hard time? And you can't always blame other people or blame the insensitivity of leaders or the people who are, who are leading up the changes within the church and we don't like changes so we complain and we forget how to rejoice. And it is the call, the clarion call of the Holy Spirit. Loosen up, he says. Loosen up. Loosen up. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The book of Proverbs helps us here. A joyful heart is a good medicine. A good medicine. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And, and look at verse uh, 5 there. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Maranatha. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Do you see it? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If it's been a while since you've really been able to rejoice and to celebrate and to laugh in that healthy sense, are you a person who is sufficiently relaxed? Or are you always strung up? Just waiting for the next terrible thing to inflict you or your family. Verse 5 gives you this sort of healthy attitude. It's an interesting phrase we could use in it. Gratitude attitude, rather than the ingratitude attitude. Which are you most exemplifying? In other words, what we have here is that ability that God gives us to see the bigger picture. To see the bigger picture. Just turn back one page in Philippians. And look at this. Look what he says here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15. The bigger picture. Things aren't going very well in the church. And there are some rival groups as you get from time to time. And uh, people don't think much of Paul. And uh, personality cults and all that sort of stuff. That's, that, that is a grief to the spirit. 
But in Philippians chapter 1 verse 15, it is true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. It's not terrible. But others, out of goodwill. The latter do it in love, knowing that I am here in the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. I mean, you know, people would say, well, Paul, you know, I never really liked him. And where there's no smoke, there's no fire, and I don't think he's to be trusted. And sometimes people say things like that about church leaders. What are you going to do? Have a mega whinge? What's he saying in verse 18? But what does it matter? What is the big picture? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives of true or true, and ultimately Jesus is the judge, not you or me, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. You see, it's the bigger picture. Not getting embroiled in these little skirmishes. Relax. Stop trying to control people and manipulate people. Let people be themselves. Let God do his work. Let him work within us. And the last thing that we are to do is rest. 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 Good verse. This is our verse. Six and, well, we do it in its context, conclude verse seven. Do not be anxious about anything. No, it doesn't mean just be careless, be indifferent to other people's tragedies and sorrows. Not at all. Indeed, the opposite. If you are the sort of person who is uh, not anxious about anything, but the sort of person in everything, standing with people, helping people, listening to them in their tragedies, encouraging them in their disappointments, comforting them in their sorrows, To rest, to rest is a very precious thing. And then verse 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what can we say about this as we try to bring it to a conclusion? The timely challenge is to rest in God's peace. To rest in his peace. So I want to ask you a question. You answer it. Are you a person who today is at peace with themselves? Are you at peace with yourself? Not the sort of thing that you've arrived and you're clever. Not that. But as God has made you, and here you are today, at whatever age and stage you are in life, are you at peace? Or are you a restless soul? Are you ill at ease with yourself? Well, this is a very timely verse for you, isn't it? I know there are things that are temperamental and some are more inclined that way than others, but we're thinking of something even in addition to that. There's a very good translation, and I want to read it to you, um, uh, the, the Living Bible. It's, we don't use this very often, but here it's very good. Just listen to these verses, 6 and 7. Here it is. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace 
will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus. Resting in Christ or wrestling with him? At ease or ill at ease? Settled or stressed? Worry is the thief of rejoicing. It causes you to be miserable. Worry is the thief of relaxing and it causes you to be hyperactive and over anxious. And worry robs you of rest so that you are replenished and renewed for a new day. But actually all that you do is to go into another day the same as the other. That's what it does. It's the thief. And you know it is so clever because it's always an inside job. That's what it is. Think about it. It's you. It's in you. It's, it's, it, it reflects you and me. It's an inside job. And a good holiday doesn't help. Sometimes it only exacerbates that because you begin to relax and you can't even do that. It's an inside job. Worry is a thief. So the corrective to worry is our verse. And I'm not being oversimplistic. In verse 6, prayer, in that general sense of whatever situation, in that big picture, pray and ask God to help you. Just do it. Do it. Every day. It's not like somebody recently who travelling along, along the road and broke down and they did call the A, it's an emergency. So people see prayer. I'm okay until I get a need. 999, police or emergency or something. That's what prayer is. Not so. This prayer is a general. So it's, it's the unfolding of our lives. And then supplication. That is that there is a place for urgent, specific, going public... And some of us are a bit too proud. And you know, we tell lies as Christians, how I am fine. And you know you're not. Your life is falling apart and you say to people, I'm fine. And thanksgiving. Do we have this gratitude attitude? Or is it an ingratitude? People are not doing enough for us, don't understand us, don't appreciate us, not valued, all that sort of stuff that... Clogs up our lives. Essentially then, verse 6 is Christ's rehab program for addicts. Fellow worry addicts. This is the rehab program of worry dependency. You've met somebody who's got an alcohol dependency, a drug dependency. Well, meet one another. Here we are, the mutual society of worry dependence. That's us. Face it. Face it, rather than deny it. And do something about it. So I say, verse 6 is right. 
worry about nothing, pray about everything. Of course we should be concerned. Of course our hearts go out to people. If not, there's something wrong with us. But this is different. So finally, two things to close with. Feed your mind on these positive thoughts. Do you see the way Paul concludes? Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, whatever is true, it's a lovely list. It's, it, it's so, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, then do it. It is such a wonderful thing. Feed your mind on these thoughts. Now, no matter what you're dealing with, how bad things are, and, and even if you question why does God permit it, even if he didn't cause it, the thing about worry is this, it will it will starve on such thoughts like what is true, what is good, what is pure, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy. Worry will begin to wither on the vine when you think about those things. They will flourish when you think about the opposite. You can, if you choose, to ruminate on negative or feed yourself on junk food like shame, fear, 